Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. In the whirlwind of our daily routines, it's crucial to carve out moments for family connection. These precious occasions are especially ideal for checking in on our aging loved ones. I'm Patrice Sikora. And along with Jim Cruzan, we are thrilled to welcome Becky Eisen from Eisen Consulting Group, LLC, a seasoned professional in geriatric care management. Now, with Becky's guidance, we'll uncover signs that can help indicate our loved ones may need extra support. We'll discuss strategies for sensitive conversations with them and highlight resources for caregivers. Now, given the depth of this topic, this episode will be the first of a two-part miniseries. Next time around, we will tackle long-term care and how to balance caregiving with personal retirement planning. Jim, it's yours. Thanks, Patrice. As somebody who spent his entire career working with individuals, preparing for retirement, uh, looking at resources, identifying opportunities to create cash flow, it's also important to look at things that might go wrong, things that might cause a financial hardship. We certainly vet out retirement planning from the standpoint of what if we had a prolonged period of time of just horrible rates of return? What impact would that have on our retirement? Another area to consider, an area that could have an adverse effect on the retirement plan that we have, the cash flow that we expect to have, is certainly those areas around aging and long-term care and the special needs that are often required as one gets older. And whether that's a function of preparing for our own retirement, it might very well be a function of helping our aged parents get through that event as well. So we thought we would bring in an expert, and I'm happy to introduce you to Becky Eisen. Becky is certainly very accomplished in this area. Becky, as uh, we just mentioned, is founder and CEO of the Eisen Consulting Group. In addition, she is a certified senior advisor. She is a certified dementia practitioner. She's board certified patient advocate, and she's certified Alzheimer's disease and dementia care trainer. And in addition to all that, Becky also holds MBA from Georgia State University. So Becky, welcome to our uh, podcast. Goodness, the number of designations certainly indicates you spent many, many years, decades, in fact, honing your skills and uh, your expertise. So what inspired you to be a geriatric care manager in the, in the first place? Great question. I think about that a lot. And I, I have to go back to my parents, my parents who were what I call givers and helpers. My father having his own private practice um, as an optometrist, and most importantly, my mother being a social worker. Back in the day when it was called Aid to Families with Dependent Children, she worked with individuals and did that throughout her entire career until she retired. And so 
I found myself always in that space of helping others. Now, how I was going to use that in my lifetime career, I had no idea. I fell into the space of caring for older adults on a fluke. I actually answered an ad in a newspaper, believe it or not. You know, I started working with older adults and matching older adults up with individuals who were looking for an affordable place to live. And so started my love for the aging population. And and as we know, and as we'll learn, we're all going to continue to age and all living longer. And so how do we do that with grace, with dignity, and with the financial means, right, to make it a happy a happy last part of your life, whatever that looks like. So again, over the year, I've honed my skills. I am a huge advocate of learning and continually learning. And it brings me tremendous joy. You have to love what you do in life. And I truly, truly love helping others as they go through this journey, which sometimes is a very short journey, a very long journey, but a very hard journey nonetheless, as you're dealing with your parents and your loved ones. Well, it certainly seems to be an an admirable advocation. Good wishes to you and your endeavors. In a moment, we'll talk a little bit about resources that are available. Uh, and I assume that you've got a tremendous number of those that all the listeners can can reach out and take a look at. But at a high level, what kind of services does someone who is a geriatric care manager generally provide? First of all, if you Google geriatric care manager probably 10 years ago, yeah, would not have come up with much information. The concept of a geriatric care manager is relatively new. I like to equate a geriatric care manager. I have all boys. So everything in my world is sports. I like to equate it as your quarterback. As your quarterback, you coordinate, you call a lot of the plays, right? Hoping to get a touchdown. In this case, making good decisions for your loved ones. So In a nutshell, we help coordinate both medical appointments, we work with financial planners, we work with other family members, um, we work with the hospitals, we advocate, we help you make good decisions. We all know, typically, when we're under a tremendous amount of stress, our decision-making process is not where it should be. And so as that voice of reason, we're there to help guide and support. Uh, Many times we're called in during a crisis, and the crisis can look differently for each individual, but we are the ones that are going to help coordinate that level of care because there's so many players that we need to kind of, everybody needs to be on the same page. So we're the ones that are going to help with that process. Very good. One question I have is, where does one find typically a geriatric care manager? In other words, are they typically independent like you, or are they an employee or have an affiliation with a broader-based healthcare organization, perhaps a a living facility, a a long-term care facility, nursing, home, et cetera? Where typically would you find someone like that? And do they take the place of, let's say, a social worker? who might also be affiliated and work in that space as well. So there are, in the space of geriatric care management, there are a lot of social workers. Sometimes there are nurses. Sometimes there's people like me who have kind of a different background. I come from a business-oriented background with with my MBA. But if you're looking for a geriatric care manager, there's a few places you can look. First of all, let me distinguish a geriatric care manager. It's very different from a care manager that might be in a hospital or a care manager that might be in a nursing home. 
they work for that entity. As a geriatric care manager, from my perspective, we're independent, meaning we're kind of that non-biased individual that's going to take a holistic view of what's going on as opposed to working directly in a specific location. To find a geriatric care manager, you can do one of two things. You can just Google geriatric care manager in my area, and you'll come up with some names. There's also a national organization. It is called the Aging Life Care Association, formerly known as the National Association of Professional Geriatric Care Managers. Say that five times. But the NAPGCM, which is now the Aging Life Care Association, aginglifecare.org. You can go to that website and you can put in your location and you can find different professionals that are in the space of geriatric case management. You can also look at, you know, the other certifications that I have. I'm a CSA, which is a certified senior advisor. There's also, you can go to that website. You can go to a website of board certified patient advocates. There are not a lot of board certified patient advocates around. Last I checked, there were 12 in Michigan. Um, so not a lot, but I would say the CSA and the ALCA, which is the Aging Life Care Association, are probably the two best places to look for a geriatric care manager in your area. Okay, great. So personally, I've gone through this with my father and my wife's parents, both. It was the whole plethora of assisted care, nursing home care, cognitive care, to a large degree, we did this ourselves, which was totally ineffective and inefficient. <laughs> you know, we got better with the last than we did the first, but still quite difficult. And I imagine it's also somewhat difficult to identify when there really is a need for assistance. In my father-in-law's case, who had Alzheimer's, it was kind of a slow process and you didn't really see a lot of the change being quite as as close to him as you would others who didn't see him quite so often would notice some slippage there that we didn't quite pick up on immediately so getting right into this what are some of the common signs or red flags that listeners should be looking for when spending time with aged parents or relatives it's a good question because, as you mentioned, if you're close to a situation, you're not always going to see those declines. And then hindsight, you're like, oh, I really should have known. I really should have noticed. A couple of, I would say, key points that I would look out for would be anytime you see a change in what I would call someone's baseline, right? Something's different. You may not know what that difference is. For example, Maybe you're noticing their clothes are a little soiled. They're wearing the same outfit all the time. Maybe you've noticed that they've lost weight or they've gained weight. Maybe you've, you've noticed that there's some mood changes going on. A lot of times when someone has been diagnosed with dementia, which again, dementia as a sidebar is the umbrella, the umbrella that over oversees, if you will, the all types of dementia. Alzheimer's is the most common. So people interchange the terms, but there are different types of dementia, which we'll probably get into later. But when you're seeing some type of cognitive decline, maybe they're forgetting their med medication, maybe they're missing appointments, or they're calling a doctor's office frequently, or they're calling you frequently. When is my appointment again? What time are you going to pick me up? Maybe they've gotten in some little fender benders lately. Maybe we need to have a really tough discussion about driving. So anytime you, you see some changes, it's best to address them. Because more times than not, 
there might be something you can uncover there. The quicker you uncover whatever the issues are, obviously, the quicker we can address them. I would, again, look for those changes. Sometimes it could be really minimal. Maybe they're not drinking enough and they're dehydrated, which dehydration in older adults can wreak havoc, or they're not taking their meds as prescribed. Those two are the big, big, big keys. And also, when you go see your parents, look in the refrigerator, check out what's in there. Interesting. So changes we would see would not always be cognitive or memory related. They can be physical as well, as simple as appearance, right? Yes. If you're used to your mom, you know, getting all dressed up and putting her makeup on, and then you notice that maybe she's a little disheveled or maybe not as aware of her appearance. Maybe she used to get her nails done all the time. And now that's not of an interest to her. It's just a little red flag just to pause and look at the big picture and see if there's more to the story. Would you say it is more typical to see those kinds of subtle changes than be able to right off the bat identify changes in daily living activities and some of the daily skills of independent living? Are those a little bit more difficult to identify than, let's say, outright appearance or repeating a date or questioning something more often? Clearly, it's easily to identify the visual, right? When you see someone and you've seen that maybe they've lost a tremendous amount of weight and their clothes are, are a little unkempt or the house is not picked up the way it used to be. Those are the visual clues. Cognitively, much harder to identify because people learn skills to cover up for where they're deficient, especially when you're talking about couples. When you're dealing with a couple, they usually tag team, especially if they've been married a long time. So one can bounce off the other and cover up for the other one quite easily when they start to learn where the other one is maybe slipping. And it's interesting when it's a married couple and there's a crisis with one or the other, people will often say to me, wow, I never knew fill in the blank because they played it so well. And part of it is pride. They don't want to acknowledge that they might need some help. And one of the lessons I've learned over the years is asking for help is incredibly difficult. We're much easier to give the help. It's also a sign of strength. When you recognize that we might need a little bit of help, it's a sign of strength that you're acknowledging, hey, maybe I can't do X, Y, Z as well anymore. It's incredibly important to acknowledge that and to say that it's okay. It's okay to ask for help. I would think at the end of the day, it's probably hard for a parent to ask for that help. There needs to be some other types of conversations. And I'd like to get into those in a second, but just as a question that's clearly selfish. As we all get older and we all age, we all have, or at least I have every now and again, these senior moments where it's like, where did I put those keys? Or, okay, I'm now in the bedroom. What thinking of something else? And why, why am I in the bed? Oh yeah. I, I had to go pick up this book or whatever the case is. And one always worries and says, oh my God, is this a sign of cognitive issues? Or is this a sign of, of dementia? What does one have to really look at to kind of self-diagnose. Now I've had cognitive testing and I'm perfectly fine and all those things, but just the same, it's something that when I talk to buddies who are all the same age, there's a whole litany. Oh yeah, I'll tell you one, I, I did this once or I did that once. And to a large degree, it's part of aging. We get distracted. There is, absolutely. There's normal aging, right? 
as we age, I've walked out of the mall and I'm like, oh, geez, where did I park my car? <laughs> Thank goodness for those automatic starts or make your horn go off and pretend that it's not you and walk past your car. But, you know, we've all had those moments. Nice move. Where, nice move. Yeah, don't tell anybody. No, <laughs> but I, I, there is normal aging. Now, when it starts affecting what we term in my industry as your ADLs or your activities of daily living, or what's also known as your IADLs or your instrumental activities of daily living, then there should be concern. And we can go through the IADLs and ADLs, and I'll use a lot of acronyms, so I'm going to be really conscious of defining what that acronym is. That's when you need to really start to focus. But when you forget where you put your keys, you walk out of the house and you forget your purse, or you forget, I go downstairs and I'm like, what did I come down here for? That's part of normal aging. I think in the world of when you start to really be concerned about it is when it becomes more common with regular physician checkups, having these conversations with your physician. If there's a need to actually go to a neurologist or a PhD, a neuropsychologist to have formal testing done, that's when you really need to start digging deep on, on what's going on. But there, you know, forgetting to what you came into a room for, it's not so much of a concern, right? It's just if it's becoming more common, then, then there's time to take pause and say, maybe I should go see my doctor, have a discussion with my primary care physician, and maybe make a plan from there. Gotcha. Good advice. So you mentioned a moment ago, ADLs and IADLs. Let's, if we could, let's just kind of go through those briefly to understand the difference. And then I would love to hear some comments that you have on all this stuff that is kind of under the dementia or cognitive care areas, just so we understand the difference between those. Because I think for me anyway, I, I tend to just kind of lump all those things kind of together. And I know they are different and there's different issues that come up and there's different attributes with respect to each. So if you could clarify that for us too, that would be great. So why don't we start with the ADLs or the IADLs? ADLs are what are known as activities of daily living. They include, sometimes you'll see five ADLs or six ADLs or seven ADLs, but they are personal hygiene or grooming. Remember I mentioned if you're seeing your, your loved one and they look a little, little disheveled, dressing. Can you dress yourself anymore? Are you having difficulty? If it takes you an hour to get dressed in the morning, you're having some challenges. Toileting, right? Going to the restroom, getting to the restroom in time, right? Not having an accident. Transferring or ambulating. Can you easily get up out of a chair, easily get up out of the bed, in and out of a car? And then eating. Are you able to feed yourself? So those are what are known as your activities of daily living. Sometimes they will, like I said, you you can see sometimes people look at five ADLs, six ADLs, seven ADLs. It really depends on who's making that definition. But again, personal hygiene or grooming, dressing, toileting, transferring or ambulating and eating are your main activities of daily living. Those are the key physical components that you would look at if your loved one is having some physical decline. Your IADLs are the instrumental activities of daily living. These are the ones that are going to help you do the ADLs that we talked about. So some IADLs would include being able to use a phone, being able to prepare your food. Preparing your food is an IADL, 
feeding yourself is the activity of, or the ADL. Doing housekeeping and laundry, those are instruments of activity activities of daily living. Transportation, taking your medication, and then handling your finances, which is very, very important. We could talk all day about the importance of financial literacy and financial health and Our older adult population are so susceptible to scams, both unfortunately with family members and outside of your family. So that's the difference between your ADLs and your IADLs. When we talk about long-term care in another broadcast, we'll talk about the ADLs as it relates to your long-term care policy, if you have one. But that would be your difference between, and that's what what doctors are going to look at. Now, as it pertains to cognitive decline, we're going to decline one of two ways, or if you're unfortunate enough, both, right? Your physical and cognitive. But from the cognitive decline standpoint, there is dementia, which is, as I mentioned earlier, right, the umbrella. And under the umbrella of dementia, you have Alzheimer's, which is the most common, probably 40 to 45% of the people who are diagnosed with dementia do have Alzheimer's. But we are seeing now more individuals with other types of dementia. I will mention Bruce Willis, who Mm. has frontal temporal lobe dementia. The frontal temporal lobe dementia is a type of dementia that affects your frontal lobe, which is your executive functioning. So people with that type of dementia are going to have trouble making those what we call executive level functioning decisions. They're going to have trouble balancing a checkbook. They're going to have trouble figuring out what kind of tip do I leave? Although today when you go to a restaurant, they'll help you with that, right? You can just press the 15, 20% or whatever. They are a prime suspect for a scam. Mm. They would be the ones who are sending money to another country because they got a call from their grandson who needs money wired ASAP because their wallet was stolen. It also affects your ability to drive and to do some of those high-level activities. So that's frontal temporal lobe. Then you have Lewy body dementia, which that is more physical in nature. And so a lot of times it's misdiagnosed as Parkinson's. And so that is a very, very, very difficult diagnosis. Sometimes you have Parkinson's with Lewy body, another dementia diagnosis. There's another called vascular dementia. So that affects your vascular functioning. And people with vascular dementia are more prone to heart attacks or behavioral outbursts. They lack that filter. So it's really important. Some people will say to me, well, what what difference does it make if my loved one has dementia? It makes a big difference in the way you're going to handle it and the way you're going to address it. And as a caregiver, how what skills you're going to kind of work on to help you help your loved one. That's dementia, again, is the overarching, um, you know, umbrella around cognitive decline. Just absolutely. Yeah. So we're now better at identifying whether or not our loved one's need some degree of help. And I would assume that any conversation we would have has to be kind of centered around their independence as well as their their safety. I know when we had, my brother and I had that conversation with our father, he was hell-bent on 
staying in his home in Traverse City until the day he died. And he was planning on living until he was 100. It got to a point where we said, look, that's exactly what we want as well. But promise us that in the event that this home is no longer a safe environment, you're willing to do something else. And uh, it got to the point where the home just wasn't a safe environment for him, two flights of stairs. I imagine it's very difficult to have that conversation. If we are having that conversation, how best to kind of springboard that? And who should be involved in that meeting? Is it just a sibling? Is it the, the group? Is it powers power by numbers? What's kind of the best approach, uh, as you've seen, as a working uh, practitioner? I come from a space of the family should be involved. And who are the players? Who Who is the family? Family could be all of the siblings. It could be, you know, maybe there's just one sibling that lives local and they're most involved and they have a family meeting. I believe in being honest and doing so with compassion so that the players that are at the table, which should be the family members, right? All the individual of concern and and interested parties that care. So that might look something like we need to have a family meeting. This is why. Sometimes it'll come from the physician. You know, the doctor will make a suggestion or maybe say, maybe we'll say to the older adult, is there someone you can bring to the appointment next week so we can have a conversation? So conversations can start many different arenas. It can start from a physician standpoint. It can start from a family standpoint, but it needs to start. And I will say to my my clients um, and the families that I work with, it is not a matter of if, but when. Hmm. Something will happen. Our hope is that it's nothing serious. And so the more planning we can do, the better off we're going to be. In whatever we're talking about, whether we're talking about aging, whether we're talking about finances, whether we're talking about preparing to go to work, if you do a to-do list, a checklist, you're going to be better off at the end of the day. The people that should be included, again, are, are the important players, whoever those players might be. What you don't want it to be is you don't want the individual to feel like everybody's you know, ganging up on me, right? You want to be mindful of maybe we should start small and kind of go from there. I also think bringing in a third party is really important. Bringing in that geriatric care manager and a professional to sit down because they're third party entity. They're going to be unbiased in their approach. And it also takes a lot of pressure off of the family. I don't want my mom to be mad at me. I don't want my dad to be mad at me. I don't want to be the target, right? And so if you take the onus off of the loved ones, it makes it a little bit easier because they're going to listen to a professional. They're going to listen to a physician, the doctor said, or as a professional, even as even my, when my mother was aging and I do this for a living. And I said to her, she was living alone. Mom, I think you need some help. Or let's just start with a, an emergency button, an emergency pendant. And she's like, oh, no, I don't need that. I had to bring in a professional to talk to her because she didn't listen to me. It happens. It happens in all the families. So sometimes it's a third party. But again, it really it depends on the family and the family dynamics mm. um, on what the strategy might look like. Even just to call up a geriatric care manager and having a consult, many geriatric care managers, myself included, will do a 30-minute consult with a family on how to guide someone on how to best have this conversation. And you can get a lot of information in 30 minutes and maybe provide some insight on what's the best way to proceed with my family. 
just as a, a personal aside, I'm a big proponent of having that conversation before you need to have that conversation. If all of a sudden the physician is asking your parent to bring one of his or her children into the meeting, something is going to have to change fairly quickly. And that can become a very difficult transition. Having that conversation with my father when he was still living independently and things were still, you know, he was still driving, we we had some concerns over that. And then kind of gradually walking into that when there was an issue, a lot of those hard conversations had already happened. And he was in fact in agreement with most of that already because he was in agreement to the same conversation we had previously. So it's something that you know, as a practitioner, I would love to be able to include that type of a conversation with our families as we do multi-generational planning as our primary client starts to get much older and mm -hmm. uh, at a point where while they're perfectly fine, it might make sense to have these conversations now than, than later. Uh, I imagine you're in, in agreement with that as well. You bring up a really good point, Jim. One one piece of that, you know, who, how should this conversation or what should it look like is the more you can involve the person of concern or persons, right? Your mom, your dad, the better off they're going to buy into, like you said, whatever those changes might look like because you've included them. And, and it's, you know, people want to feel included and it's, it's a much easier conversation when the time comes, like you said, to say, all right, I think it's time. Maybe we need to look at whether it's moving, fill in, fill in the blank, whatever that looks like. Really important to include them in the conversation because they're heard. They want to feel like they're heard and they want to feel like they're still in charge. Right. right? That's I mean, part at, of the at, process. At the end of the day, my dad made the decisions. And uh, he was empowered to make those decisions. So it made it just a lot easier. There's a huge amount of buy-in as a result of that. And I think, again, it's because you had those preliminary conversations of, you know, let's talk about when this happens. Because so many times we are, as humans, we are wired not to, to get on our little hamster wheel and go about our day. And, well, nothing's happened yet. And um, I just had a meeting yesterday with a family and well, dad's only wandered out twice. And I said, that's twice too many. Mm. And so again, having those conversations and as early as possible, um, so important in having such a positive outcome as we continue to age. Well, Becky, I'm looking at the time and we, we typically try to uh, allocate 30 minutes or so to a discussion. And oh my goodness, I could go on with you on this topic for another hour or more. And maybe we'll have you back on this same topic, just uh, an extended format. Just as we're winding up, uh, obviously, uh, the more prepared a child is to be able to have those hard conversations with their parents, which as you said, is, is effectively inevitable. What what resources are, are available out there to the to the public that they might be able to read up or learn a little bit more about these things that may be affecting their parents and and the resources that are available to provide some guidance and help? I'm happy to say there are many, many more resources available than there were 10 years ago. First and foremost, the Alzheimer's Association is a wonderful organization. It's nationwide. 
I implore people, and even though it's Alzheimer's, it's anyone with dementia, um, to really look at, you know, the website of the Alzheimer's Association. And here, here's a really interesting tip. Do you know why their color is purple? I do not. Because when they, when the organization was developed, Alzheimer's, dementia, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic background is. You are, what education, what color, what's the color of your skin. And so if you take the Democrats and the Republicans, right, the red and the blue, and you mix them together, what do you get? Purple. And that's why their color is purple. So there's your little tidbit of information for the day. But the Alzheimer's Association, wonderful organization. Any social service organization in your area can also provide some support. Um, if you have a specific diagnosis, most diagnoses have some type of um, organization, Parkinson's, Huntington's disease, another type of dementia that I didn't mention. Again, go to that specific organization because they might have a lot of support. Also, there are a lot of organizations that provide caregiver support groups. And again, we never, we didn't even talk about the caregiving component, right, of taking care of an older adult. But I would reach out to support groups. The more you can educate yourself, the better you're going to be. And the better you plan, the better off you're going to be. I have a little quote. I'm a big quote person. So Benjamin Franklin said, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. That's a very, very popular one. Confucius said, success depends upon previous preparation. And without such preparation, there is sure to be failure. And I wouldn't, I would say failure or maybe disappointment. Like, you know, I would have done it differently if I would have known fill in the blank. So I think preparing and educating yourself, so, so important. And reach out to people who are educated and are knowledgeable in the area. Again, that you're going to make much better decisions down the road for yourself and for your loved ones. Terrific. Well, listen, Becky, on behalf of myself, my entire team here, all of our listeners, I want to thank you for the time you've spent with us today. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation here shortly. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Jim, as you've just so succinctly put it, this topic is just, it's incredibly deep. It's wide ranging. We need more talk here to truly give it the attention and thought it deserves. Becky's coming back. She's going to be back on the next episode. And this time we're going to dig into long-term care and the delicate act of balancing caregiving responsibilities with personal retirement planning. Becky, we are deeply grateful for your presence here today, all the invaluable insights you've shared, but this is a journey many of us are going to navigate, and your expertise will certainly help shed light on critical aspects that we all need to consider. Now, listeners, please be sure to subscribe to the Retirement Engineer podcast so you don't miss future episodes and follow at Caden Wealth on social. Let us know what you think in the comments, and please share topics you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. Following and sharing this podcast helps our small show make a larger impact. Thank you for listening to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800-638-6900. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests, not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 
The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.